0: I'm Gwyneth Paltrow, and you're listening to The Goop Podcast, made possible by our friends at The Outnet.
1: I work in an office that's staffed almost entirely by women, and a lot of them happen to have enviable taste. Recently, I saw another Goop staffer wearing this incredible jumpsuit that I tried on last season and loved, but for whatever reason, didn't end up pulling the trigger on, and I've regretted it ever since. This is where The Outnet comes in. Their virtual shelves are stocked with gems from previous seasons from over 350 designer brands, so I can find that special piece that got away. I also don't have to worry about breaking the bank, because pieces on the Outnet are up to 75% off retail prices. Check out their collection at theoutnet.com and just enter Goop at checkout to get an extra 20% off your next purchase. To see the fine print, head to www.theoutnet.com backslash goop.
0: Hi again. Thanks for joining us. If this is your first time, here's what you can expect. Every Thursday and a bunch of Tuesdays coming up, Goop editors will be sitting down with thought leaders who are pushing boundaries in their fields. We'll talk to doctors, creatives, CEOs, and relationship experts. You'll hear me interviewing some of the people I admire most in this world, and you'll also hear a lot from my chief content officer at Goop, Elise Lunin. I love listening to Elisa's interviews because she asks the smartest questions and really just listens. Today, we have our last episode in a three-part special on mental health. Our guest today is Srini Pillay. He's a Harvard-trained psychiatrist, a brain imaging researcher, and the author of Tinker, Dabble, Doodle, Try, Unlock the Power of the Unfocused Mind. As CEO of NeuroBusiness Group, he helps leaders understand how to manage risk and harness creativity. Srini is really a Renaissance man, and he's one of the most fascinating people we've worked with at Goop. Elise went to Boston to talk to him about how we can better tap into our mind's full potential.
2: Our education system has made us feel reliant on external knowledge to judge our smartness by. And, and the truth is, while external knowledge is interesting, Most knowledge gets internalized when it's useful, so it's internal anyway. But I believe that every human being is endowed with a brilliance that is not accessed sufficiently because it is disturbed or distracted by this this idea of, I have to know. And now,
0: here are Srini and Elise. So,
1: Srini, thank you for being here. And, um thanks for giving me permission to play video games and solitaire and wander around the office aimlessly for those who are unfamiliar with your work your last book was about sort of the unfo- i guess it's your first book too so the unfocused mind the power of the unfocused mind
2: yeah no it's it is my last book i wrote a few before that um the which was so life unlocked was the first book and okay. fear overcoming fear and then about brains and business and the science behind the law of attraction. But Tinker Dabble Doodle Try was close to my heart, which is, I think, what you're picking up. And, and it was because I had just for so long, you know, in working both with patients and with, with executive clients, had noticed that everyone's so obsessed with talking about how much they focus. yeah. But that in reality, it's not just focus that matters. It's also unfocus, mm-hmm. because the brain has a, what I call a cognitive rhythm, and most people live their days with focus, 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 fatigue, and then they're out of it. And I, you know, I thought, well, you know, if you had a car, you wouldn't just like run it to empty all the time. Like, you'd want to refuel, and and it's the same thing with the brain. Like, with the brain, you want to build in times. To refuel strategically, and that won't happen if you just expect it to happen naturally. And I thought, well, why not share this with the world? You know mm-hmm. that the brain operates that way, and that there are ways to do that. And I, I myself had a personal experience, which um, I had many personal experiences like this, but one of them really sticks out for me in my mind, which was when I when I got to Harvard. You know, I'm originally from South Africa, so I was sort of like what my friends would call like a like too eager immigrant I was like I had to prove myself <laughs> and I was like on the units longer than anybody else I saw went to every didactic I, you know I wanted to I, I was like you know I got to prove myself and so at, at the end of my first quarter I thought this feedback's going to be awesome because I, I did everything I and so the first feedback I got was like you know clearly you know more information than anyone else in your class like we're really impressed by that and that's great <laughs> but we're very worried about you and I was like what are you worried about and they're like, well, you don't take time off to go to Walden for a swim. We don't see you sitting on the park benches talking to your colleagues. You go to 100% of your didactics. It shows no discernment. Like we, <laughs> uh, <laughs> We're we really worried because we're not here to develop robotic thinkers. We want to develop people who are going to change the world. And you are never going to change the world if you don't build in these periods of unfocus into your life.
1: It's interesting just knowing you and looking at you and not everyone can see you. But the idea of you having no discernment is kind of hilarious (laughs) in the way that you now express yourself, particularly through fashion. It's true. It is like you talk about it as focus addiction. But this idea, I think, that we need to be eternally productive, no wasted minute, completely overscheduled and that somehow taking breaks or daydreaming or playing solitaire, which is what my, my, what I would have called my Achilles heel, but now I know is my, my um, superpower is lazy or unproductive or something to be ashamed of, but that it's actually essential. So like, can you explain what the DMN is?
2: Sure. So just to your initial point, which I think is is interesting. So when I say to people, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach you strategic ways to unfocus, people are like, I don't you are you crazy? <laughs> like, like I, unfocus is my issue. I don't know how to focus. And right. so I would say, actually, what you don't know is that you spend 46.9% of your day daydreaming ineffectively. And so that's what studies have shown that we all spend that time daydreaming ineffectively. So why not learn how to do that effectively? And the DMN, the default mode network, which we used to think of as the do mostly nothing network, because we were like, it only comes on when you stop focusing, is actually a part of your brain that consumes a lot of energy at rest. So when you are at rest, your brain just occupies 2% of your body's volume, but it's a pretty greedy organ. It Mm -hmm. eats up like 20% of your body's energy at rest. Mm -hmm. And focus adds just another 5%. And that's because when your brain is at rest, the DMN starts to be active. And when it's active, it starts putting together many of the puzzle pieces that you collected. So people who spend their whole days focusing are collecting lots of puzzle pieces. But if you don't build unfocus into your day, you're not building in time for your brain to put these puzzle pieces together. Mm. And the DMN is the circuit that does that amongst other things. It's, it's also a very magical kind of time circuit. You know, mm. it collects memories from the past. It can help your mind wander. And it can also be a crystal ball. It is that circuit that is actually instrumental in making predictions as well.
1: It's so fascinating, too. I think this... You talk to, and I'm assuming this is the DMN, but how the conscious brain can process 60 bits per second and the unconscious brain can process 11 million bits per second, which is staggering. So essentially it's like it's doing the work for us that we think that we need to do ourselves.
2: Absolutely. I mean, I think one of the biggest uh, issues I have with the way we talk about thinking, like every time somebody asks me, to write something. They're like, oh, give us some three practical takeaways. or, and, and I'm like, I'll give you the takeaways, but can we put this in context, which is that the takeaways only matter if the person, the whole person, the, the conscious and unconscious person, is invested in that takeaway. Mm-hmm. Because the reality is that, and people debate this exact figure, but I think approximately 90% of brain function is outside of conscious awareness. Mm. You know, companies, for example, will hire people like me to teach people conscious strategies with 100% of their budgets. And I'm like, wait a minute, you're spending 100% of your money trying to leverage 10% of the brain's function. Why don't we build programs that stimulate the unconscious? Mm -hmm. So the unconscious is incredibly important. There are ways in which we can access the unconscious. There are particular things that can stimulate the unconscious it's not the only way to talk about a brain as, it, as being conscious and unconscious. Believe it or not, some people argue about this. But, but I think a lot of people would say that it, it's incontrovertible that a large amount of information is, proce- is processed outside of conscious awareness. And the DMN is one of those circuits we can learn how to, how to stimulate that can actually get to some of these unconscious places mm-hmm. that, that we don't ordinarily get to with purely focused work
1: and so it's essentially getting out of your own way and letting it, whether it's sleep or breaks like that's the that's where the creative problem solving happens that's where you're making connections that's where you're forming breakthroughs
2: yeah you know i mean a, a lot of people think a lot of important breakthroughs have come through focus only mm-hmm. but if you think about some of some important inventions and creations of our time right think about albert einstein when he describes how he discovered the theory of relativity he says it was a musical perception. Mm. He doesn't say it was a result of my focus on mathematics and physics. If you look at Steve Jobs' statements, he has said, you cannot join the dots moving forwards. You can only join them backwards. Mm. So in life, in his words, he said, you've got to use something else, like gut, karma, destiny, whatever. That Mm -hmm. there's some other forward-moving force that takes us somewhere. If you look at um, Jeff Bezos recently, when somebody said to him, well, how did you make your decision about the new places for Amazon? He said we collected a lot of data, and then we'll make the final decision intuitively. Yeah, you know. So there, there are a lot of people who I think recognize that intuition, the unconscious. This is an intelligence we really need to access. Bernie Arnault, the CEO of of LVMH, Louis Vuitton, actually does speaks about holding these focus groups, and then, and then they they take the opinions and they, they do or don't follow them. They don't just follow them because they collected the data. They had a perfume in one of their sub-brands called Shador. And when they held a focus group, Shador, the people, the people were like, eh, you know, the perfume's not that great. But they decided to go with it anyway. And when they did, it became the third largest selling perfume in the world. Mm-hmm. So, I pay attention a lot, I think, to my own intuition. I never think, as I said to you earlier, I never think I'm right about something. But I think intuition is a hypothesis that cannot always be immediately justified with rational thought. And I think it needs to be explored rather than rejected. Totally. And that's what I recommend to others as well. I say, you know, if you have an intuition, don't just throw it out. Like, yeah. it's, it may be wrong, it may be right. Why not explore that?
1: Yeah. No, I think it's interesting. I mean, I think we talk about intuition a lot, Goop, and we talk about it particularly being women seem to have exceptional intuitions. And so I think there's a perception that it's some sort of soft skill or it's irrelevant versus the hard matter of the brain. Right. But I think women intuitively know, as you're saying, that it's actually far more powerful than what's already present.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, intuition is really not that soft. You know, intuition is essentially. So there are a lot of theories about what intuition is. Yeah. One of the one of the leading theories. Um, this was actually published in in Nature last year. was the whole idea that intuition is the brain's response to subtle changes in physiology. Mm-hmm. So you know, if you're standing around a creep, but there's no evidence that that person's a creep, and you suddenly are like, "Oh, I, I don't like that person," you know, it's it's because your heart rate's changed a little. And maybe your body's sweating a little more, and maybe your breath has changed, and your brain picks this up and it takes it to the insula where where all this gut feeling is detected, and then it sends it back up to the cortex where it gets processed. So what people do is they when it reaches the insula, a lot of people are like, eh, there's no rationale. I'll just drop this intuition. Why do I think that there's no evidence for this? As opposed to, there is no evidence for this, but I'll, you know, I'll keep it on as a hypothesis. I think if we all thought of ourselves as scientists mm-hmm. in our relationships, in the work we do, we will become explorers of the hypotheses that we sense. And I think what what you're saying about women is true in that they are complex information integrators, mm-hmm. right? They, they, they pick up a lot of different variables and a lot of subtle variables, and then they integrate this information. Now this relates to another concept, which is the degree of empathy. So, Pretty much, I won't keep on saying this, but pretty much everything and its opposite is true in, in the world. And I, I both believe and don't believe. We're giving I'm people saying. concrete answers yeah. right, <laughs> right now, not
1: everything and nothing.
2: No, but I'm, I'm just saying. <laughs> so I won't go back to that construct. But if you could just remember that, okay. um, then I'll start saying some very definitive things. But the <laughs> it, in our brain there are mirror neurons, and uh, these mirror neurons can reflect somebody else's actions. If you move your hand, my brain will act as if I'm moving my hand. You know, I think you see this when you watch figure skating, for example. You're like, oh my God, I feel so great. But right. Actually, you're not actually doing the jump. Your brain just is making you feel like you're doing that jump. So, you know, we, we catch other people's movements, intentions, and their emotions. Now, studies have shown that in a few studies have shown that women tend to have mirror neurons that give them greater empathy. They're able to pick up and reflect these emotions sort of much more easily than than men do. So if you're picking, if you are a more sensitive data collector, then you're going to have more data to integrate. And you're then going to come up with a different intuition. So like mm-hmm. a lot of times people will say things like, I think you're hypersensitive, or how can you not get this? I th- I think the next time anybody's in a couple and you're having this argument, just be like, because my, my mirror neurons are different from yours.
1: <laughs> They're superior. <laughs>
2: right. <laughs> or inferior if you don't have that kind of, you know, that kind of empathic ability. Just be like, I'm not sensitive to it, not because I want to not be sensitive to it. My brain is not wired to be sensitive to it. So now I, this is a reason to learn.
1: Right. So and how, when you talk about the unconscious, because... You talk about supertasking and specifically Ryan Seacrest, which is funny, Um, but the ability to do multiple things at the same time, partly by using the unconscious. And is that another word for flow? Because personally in my own life, and I like to, I almost feel like I channel sometimes when I write because I'm not unconscious, but I literally, it freaks my husband out, but I'll just like sit on the couch and I just type and I am looking at him and talking to him and typing. Like I, yeah. I literally, I don't know yeah. who's writing it. I guess it's my unconscious. I like to think that it's some, someone else. But what is that? Is that what is that what it is? Is that flow?
2: Yeah. It, yes. So I, is the unconscious related to flow? Yes. And are you in a flow state when that's happening? Yes. And, and that kind of automatic writing has actually been documented by a lot of people. I think uh, Eleanor Roosevelt might have been one other, one other person who had that kind of automatic writing ability. And, and I think the brain can take over mm-hmm. and can allow you to do things that you are not consciously attending to. I mean, think about it. Like you're not thinking about beating your heart every right. minute. Like your heart is just beating because your brain can make it do that you know, the, or it, it's, I don't know if we can make it to that, but it's connected to that mechanism. Similarly, when you're, when you're typing away and talking, you're handing something over to the unconscious. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times when you don't hand something over to the unconscious, then you sometimes lose the complexity. I mean, mm-hmm. if you think about figure skating, I think is a good example. Music is a good example, where if someone were paying attention to every note, it would come across as being very stilted. Right. Right. But at some level you surrender. You know, like think about Aretha Franklin belting out a note, or right? You know, I think I mean Lady Gaga's like that. Mm-hmm. You know, Katy Perry's like that. I think when you hear when you hear their voices, you realize at a certain point, you know, Christina Aguilera, they have these moments where they just let go, and and all you have is some kind of integrated sensation. You you're feeling they're unconscious when that's happening,
1: right? And we all do that in our everyday lives, right? When we, you don't even remember driving home or how you walk somewhere. It's kind of terrifying and maybe doesn't seem that right. safe, but it happens to me all the time.
2: Well, the reason it is safe is because if you, I remember this happened to me once when I was playing the piano. I was just starting to get into sort of playing in front of audiences and I was playing the piano and I, I knew this piece really well. It was my own composition. So I was like, you know, this is going to be a piece. Of, I mean, I can, if I make a mistake, it'll be my composition. So... I started playing and my music teacher was in the audience. And all of a sudden, I started becoming super conscious of Mm. my fingers. And the moment I became that conscious about my fingers, I I started to forget how to play. Because sometimes the unconscious holds that memory much better than the conscious mind. And when I looked at my teacher, she actually was like... She made a hand signal that indicated, you know, let go of the conscious thought, which I did. And I got back into the groove again. Right. You know, so I, I think there are times... When letting go, like when you're dancing, when you're skiing, mm-hmm. sex. I mean, can you imagine if somebody was like, okay, step number one, let's do this. <laughs> step <laughs> no, number true. two. Yeah. You, know, so. you have to
1: be. We. I remember when Dr. Snyder, a sex therapist I interviewed, was talking about how sex is, needs to be dumb or yeah. hyper brilliant, as it would appear. Right. But um, yeah. if you're conscious, if you're focused, all bets are off. So, you know. I thought another interesting. Speaking of the physicality of it too, at one point you talk about how if you need to solve a problem, maybe it's not the best antidote. But one idea is like to take a walk and move your like move your arms fluidly. Like, what's that? Is it just another distracting way of distracting your conscious brain?
2: So, well, no. So there's a lot of there's a lot to that particular that you just sort of (laughs) packed in. So yeah, I'll go into my very sort of listy mode okay so so in general i think it's important to find 10 to 15 minutes a few times a day to build unfocused activity into your day so let's take a lot of people would say as i said that they can't do that because they don't have the time but but you are doing it anyway so why not do it in a way that's helpful so and think of when your brain's in a normal slump like middle of the morning right after lunch middle of the afternoon end of the day your brain is not doing a whole lot on its own anyway. You're just dragging it through. So why yeah. not try and rejuvenate it through one of these unfocused exercises? So let's take walking as an example, right? So, so walking is, is, is a way of, of activating this unfocused mind. But there are two things that I think are important to remember. One is walking outside for the purposes of creativity is better than walking on a treadmill. Mm-hmm. They're probably f- both equal from an exercise perspective if, if you do them at the same intensity, right? Um, and the second is that walking on a curvy path is actually uh, superior to walking around the block, and and partly, you know, your your brain when it is in this kind of non-organized mode is is actually then catching up with itself in a certain way. So mm-hmm. so so walking in that way can be really helpful. In terms of sort of moving your hands precisely, and that's a long long story, but the truth is (laughs) there's a decent amount of research around moving your hands and solving math problems. Uh, And you might ask, well, why? Because the body communicates with your brain as much as the brain communicates with your body. Mm -hmm. So if I'm moving my right hand in a certain way, it is stimulating my brain as well. Like a lot of people don't realize that our bodies hold intelligence. Yeah. So, so walking, I think, is one of those ways. The other way is is, is what I call positive constructive daydreaming. Mm-hmm. Um, PCD, for, for those who want to write this out, I, I always like making these little lists if I'm listening to something like this so I can <laughs> uh, reflect on it. But the, the PCD, positive constructive daydreaming, was discovered by Jerome Singer, who found that you are, uh, that, that daydreaming by sitting at your desk is not helpful. Uh, daydreaming by of remembering the prior night's indiscretions and then ruminating about them is not helpful either. Nobody wants to remember what they said when they had one too many drinks. And then the third thing, though, which is positive, constructive daydreaming is helpful. And there are just three things to remember about how to do this and why it's different. Number one, build it into your day. Mm -hmm. Number two, you have to be doing something low-key, not just sitting at your desk. So you want to be knitting, gardening, going for a walk. And number three, you just let your mind off its leash and it starts wondering about positive, wishful things like lying on a beach or, you know, running through the woods with your dogs. That when, you, when you start doing this positive, constructive daydreaming is another way to become unfocused. The The third thing is doodling, uh, which is essentially just scribbling on a piece of paper. Doodling improves your memory by 29%. Wow. Um and and what we know about doodling is that is that it makes your it activates the DMN, uh, the de- default most mode network, and it also makes your brain less like a stiff sponge, so it can absorb information. Mm-hmm. And the fourth thing I'll mention is napping, uh, which is that five to fifteen minutes of a nap can give you one to three hours of clarity. Mm. And recently, I've even been employing them. I've been saying, you know what? There's a reason Google has napping pods in its offices and a lot of other newer businesses are doing this as well. It's because if you're dragging yourself after lunch, you may think like you're trying to get your work done, but why would you want to do it with a brain that, that's half empty? Yeah. You know, refuel it with the napping. The thing with creativity is you need a full 90 minutes to nap. Uh, so that's not that practical in a work day. So you might want to, if for a special creative project, maybe do that over the weekend. Yeah. You, but uh, And too much napping can be bad for your heart because it can offset your sleep cycle that then places of stress in your heart. But I, I think positive constructive daydreaming, napping uh, and and doodling and, and walking are pretty decent ways to fill those 10 to 15 minutes so that you can begin to unfocus mm-hmm. to develop a, a much better cognitive rhythm.
1: Yeah, it's interesting too. And I, I, I wonder if this fits a pattern and it probably does. But I also find having to do a fair amount of creative work in my job, that there are times, particularly if I need to write something, or even when I'm reading, I go through period, I'm like a sprinter, and then a long, I'll read five books in five days, and then I need like two weeks where I won't read anything. Same with writing, it's like, and I've sort of learned, I learned in college to like let it go that it was stupid to sit and force myself to write, I'd have to rewrite it because it would be terrible. And then instead, I would sort of like build... Up, it's almost like a building up. And then I can do... I can write the whole thing in two hours, almost without stopping. But is that... Is that yeah. this? Yes, Just,
2: very much so. It's, okay. it's basically living your life according to your own drummer. Right. right. I mean, it's like, <laughs> and, and I think... The thing that, 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 so I will say that having having been with you a couple of times, the, the thing that you exemplify is what I write about, which is psychological center of gravity. Hmm. That you have a a core that gets communicated, like even in conversation, like you're like, yeah, you know, we're going to start with this core message and then we'll go off here, we'll go there. But the core is mm-hmm. there always. And, and doing the kind of thing that you talked about does give you a psychological center of gravity and it gives you, basically a greater degree of mental stability. It's like a core exercise mm. for your brain. It's like, it would be very hard to lift weights if your core was not developed. Similarly, if your psychological center of gravity is not developed, then the challenges that come your way are difficult to manage. Like in an ever-changing world where we've constantly got to change course, to actually expect yourself to be solid, it's very hard to be solid if your psychological core is is not developed because because then you can change course. And so I think that, and actually that habit, there's a history of people doing that in very important ways. Steve Jobs, mm-hmm. uh, for example, when he was having all this trouble at Apple and wasn't sure how they were going to regain their profits, took time off and went to an ashram in India and started walking about. You know, when Mark Zuckerberg wanted to know what to do when Facebook was in a fix, he went to Steve Jobs and said, take time off. There are a lot of people who who I think have, uh, Bill Gates does that routinely, had some of his biggest discoveries in these times off. I think most people will relate to this in terms of the the sudden idea that comes to you in a shower, right, Right, when you take that time off. So I think what I do, I think similar to you, like a lot of people say, oh, my God, how do you do so many different things? And and part of what I do is I set a goal for when something has to be done. You know, like mm-hmm. I have deadlines like everybody else. I've got to finish something at a certain time but that doesn't mean i've got to be monotonous and right. go back every day to finish something you know it's like i'm human like that would just bore me so i feel like i do some of that i do some of this at the end i you know i measure my productivity i'm interested in being productive i'm interested in doing something with all this freedom of thought that i feel but i think that uh you don't have to do this with somebody else's rhythm of in mind i yeah. in, in fact in, in the book I talk about ingenuity, which is such an important thing to me that I think the world is just lost in part because of our education system. Yeah. Our education system has made us feel reliant on external knowledge to judge our smartness by. And and the truth is, while external knowledge is interesting, most knowledge gets internalized when it's useful, so it's internal anyway. Yeah. But I believe that every human being is endowed with a brilliance that is not accessed sufficiently because it is disturbed or distracted by this this idea of I have to know. Yeah. And 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 just to make to take this out of its sort of sort of softish, self-helpish inspiring place, I Don't I, take it out. My heart was swelling. <laughs> well, I, I just think it's a really important it's a really important paradigm. And 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 I, I like to quote as an example of where this was important, the, the One Laptop per Child project. Yeah. You know, where, where they dropped these laptops in, in rural Ethiopia, and they were not sure what the kids would do. I mean, the kids had no degrees in computer science. They'd never even seen the technology before. Right. So you would say, people were like, will they eat them? Will they sit on them? like What would you do with a piece of technology if you had never seen anything like it? Well, within a couple of hours, they found the on-off button, a couple of weeks, they were singing ABC songs and using apps. And within a couple of months, they'd hacked Android.
1: Yeah, it's amazing. Now,
2: <laughs> I, I, I made a new piece of technology, had a group of very smart people in the room. And they were all eager to look at the instruction manual and figure out how to use it. And I said, OK, so now we're going to go into a period where we're going to start using this. And they were like, uh, how do I use this? Right. And I'm like, great question. What we're going to do is figure that out. But I don't, I'm, not a, I'm not a techno person. You know, like none of the Ethiopian kids were like, I'm not a techno person. Right. They didn't even know what that is. So think about how much we're losing because we believe that we've got to have a system of structured knowledge to do anything. Like before knowledge existed as a subject matter, right? Like before music had music theory, before writing had principles of writing, somebody wrote, somebody sang. You know, right. and, and these are the people who made up those principles or contributed to those principles. So I always say to people, go back to your most original self. You know, if you want to write, you don't have to write like any famous writer. Write like you. Right. you know, and the idea is not just that everything you are is going to be the best in the world. But I think we've, 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 we've heard too much on the side of following other people's advice and following other people's thoughts And as a result, we're losing track of the psychological center of gravity.
0: Let's take a quick break. We'll get right back to Srini.
1: I really don't like the feeling of being rushed to make a decision. Now or never mentalities usually don't work for me. I'm more of a sleep on it and let's see how things look in the morning kind of person. And this is more like what shopping on the outnet feels like. You can find pieces you saw and love from previous seasons, only this time at a fraction of the original price tag. I've never been super big on impulse buys, but on the Outnet, you feel like you've had a good minute to weigh your purchases. And they stock what seems like every designer brand on the planet, or at least 350 of the best. So you're likely to find your favorite Oscar de la Renta print or Jimmy Choo heels from a season or two ago. And this time, they'll be up to 75% off, but what keeps people coming back to the OutNet site is that you're rarely ever browsing the same thing. The OutNet drops new arrivals five days a week, Monday through Friday, which means no matter the time of year, you're almost always going to spot something worth your while. Get an extra 20% off your next purchase at theoutnet.com by using code GOOP at checkout. And for their terms and conditions, just head to www.theoutnet.com backslash goop.
0: Okay, let's get back to Elise's interview.
1: You said belief, right? And it's, you know, we are confining ourselves by beliefs, often other people's beliefs. So how do, what's the, how, what's the antidote? How do you break free and sort of redefine what you believe is possible?
2: Yeah, I mean, this, this is a topic that's close to my heart. I, I call it possibility thinking. And whenever I say this, people, you know, very practical people, their eyes gla- glaze over, like "Oh my God!" Isn't the practical telling-
1: people are boring, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> reasonable people. Are just kidding. No. Well, I, there's I a place of- for everything.
2: There is, but I, uh, yeah, but I, I fundamentally agree with what you're saying. Like, yeah. like I think if somebody just kept on having a practical discussion with me, uh, it would be like re- hanging out with an instruction manual. Right. Like, who wants to hang out with an instruction manual all day? So. I think I mean I can maybe there are people out there saying me me so I mean I appreciate variety, but I I think this idea of possibility thinking, um, is, is super important and and there's studies that actually show that uh, that as a form of thinking it's it's pretty vital. So uh, what we know from placebo studies is that placebo is basically inactive medication that people take that has no apparent active clinical effect, right? But it still creates some kind of effect, yeah. and in fact, over the years, interestingly for our society, placebo rates have been increasing.
1: It's very powerful.
2: So it's it's hugely powerful, yeah. and and what we know. So there was one study that was done. Um, I think it was Medoff and colleagues. They they um, they actually looked at. They took three tubes. They took one tube of three tubes of identical paste, and they labeled one lidocaine, mm-hmm. and they labeled the other capsaicin and the third neutral, but it's all the same paste. So when people tried on the lidocaine, which is for pain relief, they were like, wow, this feels really calming. When, they, <laughs> when some people tried on the capsaicin, which is the active ingredient in chili, they were like, wow, this really stings. And people who tried on the neutral were like, eh, you know, this doesn't cause anything. And when you looked at their brains, you saw that the people who believed they were getting something that was pain relief, they actually were, they, they had activated the reward centers in their brain whereas the people who believed they were getting something that was going to sting them activated the pain centers in their brain. Right. And studies have shown that belief in the form of placebo can increase opioids. Your body's got natural opioids that you can access with belief. And belief also really decreases your stress. So belief is a very powerful mode of operating in the world. And for those who say, well, how can I just believe something if I don't know it? Think of it as a hypothesis. Mm-hmm. Like like I've got a hunch and I'm going to follow this. Or if I, if I say to you, think about your life right now. Right? Think about where you are in any respect, financially, from a relationship perspective, physically. And if I say to you, can you take your life to the next level? You'll get two varieties of answers. Like one group of people will be like, I really don't care. And the other group of people might say, well, maybe three, no, and the the third, yes. I think that that there are two concepts which we need to be aware of. And it's SEO of a different kind and SEM. So SEM is self-esteem maintenance. It's Mm. those people who just don't care about taking their lives to the next level. They just want to get through the next day. SEO is self-esteem optimization. And that's what possibility thinking is about. It's about saying, is this possible? Can my body get better? Can my mind get better? Can my finances get better? And I think the answer should always be yes and then how? Because especially in those instances. And and part of that is that possibility thinking much like the growth mindset actually changes our performance. Like mm-hmm. in in if you look at education performance for example, in socio-economic factors determine education success. So poorer kids do not do as well as richer kids. But if you teach growth mindset to, to, to poorer kids, their education goes up to the same level mm-hmm. just by believing that it's possible. And when you look in the brain, possibility thinking, this growth mindset mentality improves control, you know, because now you're not walking through sludge in your brain. You've loosened up this material and, and you're beginning to feel like stuff is possible. Mm-hmm. So I believe that the the key ingredient of possibility thinking is for any challenge you ask in your you have in your life, ask yourself what who is the exception and how can I imitate the exception right so if you are someone like me who likes who's interested in being healthy but also really likes a lot of unhealthy food and is not willing to give up every form of unhealthy food like i'm I'm not going to never eat dessert right you know um so If you ask yourself that, it's like, well, okay, I could say, well, that means I'm always going to never be as fit as I want to be. Or it means, is there anyone like me who is fitter than I am? And I can bet you a lot of money there is, you know, because they're doing something differently. They're either changing the proportion of carbohydrates or they're exercising more Mm -hmm. or their mindset is different. So if you're someone, for example, who cannot see a way to make more money and you're like, you know, I don't know how, how how to do this. Well, ask yourself. Is there anyone like me who's working a full-time job, who's tired at the end of the day, who's making money, more money than I'm making? And if you ask yourself that exception question, your brain should rise to that occasion. Now, there are things which could be in your way, and and I would ask you to make a list of these, and then ask yourself at the end of this, which pertains to me? Mm. So when your possibility brain is turned off, your brain basically says, thank you, good night, I'm going to sleep. Mm. You know, it says that, well, that's not possible. So it does, your unconscious doesn't come to the fore. Right. It doesn't come to help you. Whereas if you say something's possible, but I just don't know how to get there, then at least your unconscious is trying to figure this out. So burnout is the first thing that turns off the possibility brain. Because when you're burnt out, you're, you're stressed and you get caught up in habits. And the last thing you're thinking about is something new. The second thing would be feeling lost. If you're feeling like I'm pulling a million different directions and I don't know what to do, ask yourself, can I stabilize myself in one respect? You know, At home, maybe I set new boundaries. At work, maybe I set new boundaries. But something will allow me to actually stabilize myself in that respect. The third thing is already giving up. So many people don't realize this, but as a therapist, I often see people come into therapy, their spoken word is, I want this to be better in my life. But experientially, they've already given up. So the first thing is to wake people up from their surrender, which in that context is a negative thing. I would say the fourth thing is depression and anxiety. You can really get in your way. The fifth is habit. So habit, when you get caught up in this habit hell, it's it's problematic. And the sixth is, is not being able to imagine or not engaging your imagination. You know, I can't stress this enough. Like a lot of people are like, oh, I imagine all the time. Like, really? When was the last time? you sat down for a good 15 to 30 minutes and imagined yourself in a different place in life. Mm. Like when was the last time you could see yourself, look different, be different, be with a different person, have a different amount of money? You know, I, I, I don't think we use, when our imaginations fail us, we're not able to think about possibilities. So ask yourself, you know, I, and depression and anxiety is the other thing that stands in the way. So burnout, feeling lost, already giving up depression and anxiety, um, habits and not being able to imagine, ask yourself, which of these things is in my way? And can I address them so that I can actually believe that something is possible? You know, and I think a good example for me, which I often use in my corporate trainings, which always surprises people is a little speech that Lady Gaga gave. Mm -hmm. She actually talked about a point in her career where she was just completely burnt out she just did not want to sing which is sort of crazy if you think about how talented she is right and she said she realized that she'd been doing stuff that she did not like like she did not want to be advertising perfumes mm-hmm. she did not want to be feeling like she was working for someone else and just being a being a money machine you know she didn't want to take selfies you know and she said you know, when I realized these things, I realized there's only one thing I needed to do, which was to basically say to myself, "You know, I've got to say no to something, because if I say yes, yes, yes all the time, my life is going to be filled with things that don't define who I am. I'm not going to feel real." And so she started to say no, and I love the way she put this because she, in this in this video, which you can actually see online, she she says. I went home after saying no to all those things, and I said, "You, I can sleep with, because mm. you I respect." And in her words, she said, "You've got balls. You've got integrity. You, you are someone who, you know, I. She could be with." And and I think we all have to ask ourselves that. Like, obviously, nobody's perfect. Sometimes we all do things that are like outside the range of what we want to do. Right. And we've got to think about that again and be like, "Ah, oh, was that really me? Like, probably not." But I think. If we can center to being ourselves Mm. and we can say to ourselves all the time, you know, this life feels worth it if I feel like I'm being myself, then then that makes a difference. You know, I'm I'm working right now with a really brilliant early stage doctor and he's he's torn between following the academic path and engaging his own brilliance in the world. And the more he follows the academic path, which offers a lot of safety, Mm -hmm. the more he feels like he's not able to engage his own spontaneous brilliance. And so I know we can't all leave our jobs and jump into our spontaneous brilliance. And I know, (laughs) you know, sometimes it's just better to be in a safe place. Start by cultivating like an hour a day for yourself. It may sound like a lot, but in in the scope of life, in the grand scheme of things, when you die, you're probably not going to say, I really regret giving myself that hour each day.
1: Right. And from safety, you can imagine what's possible. Because I yes. think that also curbs anxiety and some of those other factors that yes. make you so scared to think about what could be different. And so you said, essentially, if you engage the possibility mindset, you start to think about what you can do or what who you could be that's ideally closer to your true self. The how is will come from your unconscious. Like if you give yourself the space, like your unconscious mind is going to tell you exactly how to do it, if not do it for you. Yes. Can we be lazy about it?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I think when you get the signal, then you rise to that occasion. And you may not even know what you're doing, but you just do it.
1: Right. No, it's true. I I think we are magic. I think we are superhuman. I think that we are so untapped in terms of our... Potential, I know. I want to believe you agree with me on that because you're nodding. But... I
2: so agree with you on that I mean I do think that the human condition is magical. Like it is, I mean, there's some really amazing things that happen. Like you know, there was a there was one experiment that showed that if you if you have someone in France and someone in India and you and you connect each of their brains with electrodes to computers and the internets are connected, but you don't see or hear the person. Just by thinking the word, the word can be transferred like a word like hola in Spanish can be transferred long distance and picked up accurately by the person in the other country.
1: We're all psychic.
2: yeah, I mean, we are. Yeah. And, and, I, and I think I, I think there's just so much evidence uh, to substantiate the hypothesis that we're magic. I don't think we should limit ourselves to rational thinking in order to engage that magic because I think magic is activated. By a combination of faith and rational thinking. And, and I think too many human beings are disconnected from the fullness of their beings. You know, they, they, turn, they don't realize that their rational thinking is a defense against their complexity.
0: Thanks for tuning in to Elise's Conversation with Dr. Srini Pillay. You can keep up with him at DrShriniPillai.com and check out his book, Tinker, Dabble, Doodle, Try. That's it for this episode of the Goop Podcast. If you have a chance, please rate, review, and let us know what you think. To keep up with new episodes, just hit subscribe. And don't forget to tell your friends. For more info, check out goop.com slash the podcast. See you soon.